<clears throat> Hello and welcome to the Racing One podcast, a brand new podcast covering everything motor racing. I am your host Tristan and joining me is Kale Parkinson. We're the Dynamic Duo. We're here to talk about some, some F1, some IndyCar, some GT, a bunch of all different stuff in one place. Tristan? Everything. All yeah. of everything. So, of course, buckle up, relax, put the kettle on. I have a lovely cup of tea here. Um, because I have some apple and blackcurrant juice because I am a very childish. <laughs> kids yeah. juice. We always love kids juice. We're adults. Absolutely. True. Anyway, if 100%. you want to keep listening, put the kettle on, have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, maybe drive to work with us on in the background and honk the horn a couple of times when people are being idiots on the road. Yeah. Um. Join us for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, and um, you can get up to date on all of the racing news and all of the racing gossip and all of our opinions, if you care about them, with our Racing One podcast. Yeah. Well, we begin our podcast history, if you will, with a very interesting, shall we say, landscape in Formula One, with, um, it seems like, maybe 37 drivers driving for McLaren at the moment, and a grand total of zero driving for a team that needs two drivers with Alpine. Of course, we're talking about the Ricardo Piastri chaos, with all kinds of everything happening in the Formula One paddock. We really don't know where anything's happening at all at the moment, so... Not really, no. <laughs> it's a very interesting time in Formula One. Funny, just after the... I don't know if you heard about the Alex Pillow incident with Chip Ganassi racing at IndyCar. I know he was signed for two teams at the same time. I mean, it's not the first time that this kind of thing's happened. Of course, Sauber came up to the 2015 Australian Grand Prix with three drivers and only two seats to put them in. That was Felipe Nasser, Marcus Ericsson, and Guido van der Gaard, of course. And um... that was another interesting time. Of course, Manisha Cato on a little bit of an incompetent team manager, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but that's nothing on what's happening at the moment. I can't even comprehend what's happened in the last week and a half or so. And of course, it all started with the news that um, Sebastian Vettel would retire from Formula One, which he created an Instagram account and broke the internet for, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, broke the F1 season as well, apparently. Good Lord. It all just set off a flipping chain reaction of chaos, you yeah. know? And then, of course... On the 1st of August, before all of this blew up, I thought the biggest news of the Formula 1 season would be Fernando Alonso going to Aston Martin. And now that's mm. almost faded to the background. <laughs> all of this that's happening. At the, I mean, I can't believe this. It's, I mean, I can't. I've been a Formula 1 fan for many years now, and I can't think of another time mid-season where things have been as crazy as this. I suppose the whole Nico Rosberg retiring thing comes yes. kind of close, but that I was, was at the end that, of the yeah. season, and that was sort of really sudden. I mean, this is really sudden as well, but yeah. my goodness gracious me. Yeah, I, I don't... I mean, I thought I was surprised enough when, like you said, when the Alonso thing happened, and then and then just all hell broke loose, man. I was like, like Piastri, just like... just. Oh, Alpine saying Piastri's going to Alpine and then Piastri the next day. Oh, by the way, Alpine put that um, message out at like two in the morning where uh, in, in Australia. So that was weird mm. enough. And Piastri comes the next morning, just like, no, I did, I did not agree to this. I'm actually going. And then there's, you know, rumors that he's going to McLaren and then McLaren are like going to replace Ricardo with him. That's kind of been somewhat, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's been rumored or confirmed. I think it's probably happening. Yeah, um, and then of course there's the whole thing happening at the moment where Alpine are going to the high court for Piastri because Alpine mm. want all of the money that they spent on Piastri through, through the junior career to be given back to them. And then Daniel Ricciardo wants the $21 million for next season's contract from McLaren. So it's all just becoming very messy. Of course, I don't think Alpine's whole high court challenge about the whole spending money on Piastri's junior career thing is actually going to go through because that just seems a little bit ridiculous. You spend money. They don't do that if, I don't know, they didn't. Red Bull didn't ask for Yuri Vips to repay all of the money that they had spent on his junior career when he was dropped from the academy earlier this year. So it just sort of seems a little bit pointless. That is true. But then again, they did drop him. So I guess they wouldn't be asking for it if like it was, you know, they they were the ones that started it. Because with uh, with Alpine, they probably felt like they like they lost Piastri and Piastri just um kind of like abandoned them. Even though, I mean, was that whole... <coughs> uh, 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 what's that date? July 31st. Was that a whole, was that pointless? Like a completely um, unrelated well, think, date? The contract that Piastri had was if a seat became free at Alpine on or before the 31st of July, 
PS3 was automatically an Alpine driver. However, on at 0000 on the 1st of August, which was the day that Alonso signed the contract, it was null mm. and void. So Piastri could go wherever he wanted. So, of course, I thought it would have been interesting. What I thought Alpine would have done is they could have subpoenaed um, Alonso's contract with Aston Martin and see mm. when it was signed, because I assume it would have the time and date of when it was signed. If it was signed on the 31st of July, Oscar Piastri is an Alpine driver. If it was signed on the 1st of August, Oscar Piastri is not an Alpine driver. I mean, it's quite simple mathematics there. But... um. <laughs> yeah it's just kind of crazy how and like with alpine i think i i honestly i don't know really what was going through everyone's heads i mean i guess they just thought they had a right over him i think a contractual right i guess you could say um yeah. him. And like you know yeah and one could argue that this was all caused by daniel ricardo in the first place because the only reason why alpine back when it was ran up no it was alpine in 2021 but alpine built the team around oscar piastri for when alonso was supposed to retire at the end of this year but he didn't um was because daniel ricardo left renault at the end of 2020 because renault were building the team around daniel ricardo at that stage and a ricardo uh, piastri lineup at alpine would have been absolutely fantastic but it wasn't something that we got i'm afraid but the whole thing about Otmar Safnauer being like Fernando Alonso's too old to race in F1. No, he's not. Some Formula mm-hmm. One drivers have been in their prime in their late 30s, early 40s. You've just got to think of drivers like, I know we're going back a fair way here, but... Um, oh, I probably don't one, even know what you're going to be talking about here. One Manuel Fangio's <laughs> prime was 1957 when he was 46. Got and very then you've got drivers like, you know... I don't think, uh, what's his name? Jacques Lafitte in the 1980s. He hadn't even peaked when he broke his legs in an accident in 1986. And he was 44 or something at that time. He was old. He's in his 80s now. And, um, of course, you also had, you know, Nigel Mansell, where he was like 38, 39, and he was sort of in his prime in that early 90s. So you, it's a complete myth that you peak when you're 35 and it's all downhill from there. Kimi Raikkonen had some fantastic races in like 2018, I think, was a bit of a renaissance for him. And he was one of the fastest drivers on the grid in 2018. And at that True, stage, but it was 40. So yes. he, did, he did become a bit of a meme, though. I think that's, like, that's what he was yeah. most well known for in the last few years. Was, but I mean, not but saying he, he was bad, no. I mean, you've but, got to have some level of talent to get on pole at Monaco when you're oh, yeah. Lee Woolley. He was 39 at that stage. but And he was still arguably the lead Alfa Romeo driver in like 2020 and 2021 Definitely. against uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. So he's very highly rated and has yep. since scored absolutely zero points in Formula E. But that's with the Dragon Racing team. So that's unex- that's expected rather. So Yeah, poor Antonio. But yeah, um, I don't, honestly, I don't blame Alonso at all for going uh, to Aston Martin, who clearly thought you know clearly had clearly had a different uh belief in him than uh alpine did i felt like that's a big thing like if a team comes to you and goes come join us but we don't believe you'll be good after a year then like why why would you go with them you know i'm just like screw you guys (laughs) although the management of aston martin is a little bit lackluster especially with the whole lawrence strong micromanaging everybody yeah um Aston Martin have a vision to be the best team, and it's something that I don't think Alpine has. Alpine's content to be in the midfield. Of all of the teams in Formula One at the moment, the one that I see is least likely to actually win championships is Alpine, because I don't see Alpine actually having that drive to win championships. They're consistently there, but, you know, they're not any better than being there. They're just also runs, and I don't see that really changing, which is a bit of a shame, but um, it is what it is. It is what it is. So who are we thinking... um... We'll go to Alpine then, uh, in replacement of, well, Piastri, I guess. Piastri and Alonso. Who well, will fill that vacancy? I think it's likely probably either Gasly or Ricardo. Mm. Um, but I must admit, knowing Daniel Ricardo and his love for NASCAR, I feel like actually the sort of small family type team construction of Haas F1 team would be a better fit for him. And I can mm. see, um, you know, Ricardo Magnussen, probably two of the funniest drivers on the grid, in my opinion, being oh, an absolute right. demon lineup together. So I yeah. think in, in, in terms of money, maybe not quite so good, but in terms of being able to perform at the best of his ability with a little bit less pressure, I could see mm. Daniel Ricciardo being a much better fit for Haas F1 team than if he was to go back to Alpine. And at the same time, of course, Alpine and National Pride France, woohoo, um, wee wee, whatever, <laughs> um, 
yeah. it would be really good for Alpine to have a double French lineup with Gasly and Ocon. So I feel like it would be the best of both worlds. And then, of course, you get Liam Lawson. I would assume Liam Lawson going into Alpha Tauri, maybe Dennis Hauger, something like that. So that would be a really cool um, conclusion for all parties, I think. Yeah, it would be interesting. I just think, um, I'm not sure if Ricardo is done yet with, I mean, who knows, Haas may be god tier next year or in the next few years, but I'm just thinking if, I feel like Ricardo, he's just lost his, I think he's just lost his mojo at the moment. I don't feel like he's done. I feel like he's no, wants he's to get done. into it and, you know, um, I feel like he just needs that relationship with the car again where he can, you know, push it to the limit and be aggressive and that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, he not saying he's motivation back. Yes, he does. He does. I think the issue is, as much as he keeps saying, "Yeah, everything's fine. It's all roses, flowers, and daisies at McLaren." It's really not. I mean, no fool can see through that um, disguise. Yeah. So I feel like once he gets his momentum back and he gets his morale back, and I think <clears> the place that he would be able to get that back easiest again would be Haas, even though Gunter Stein is known for being a bit of a you know, you maybe need anger management issues. A He's bit. a decent team principal. He's probably one of the, I wouldn't say one of the best on the grid, but certainly one of the most honest. And, you know, he Brutally would, pass one team wouldn't lie to Daniel Ricciardo if he was underperforming at the team. Yeah. Like, I feel like McLaren keep lying and saying everything's okay when it's really not. Andreas Seidel did it early in re earlier in the year, and it's just very moral, uh, very demoralizing for a driver to be in that kind of situation. Yeah, I think they, was, and, they just were like, we'll, we'll, we'll fix it, we'll get there, we'll get there. And then they just, you know... it's. The, and then they didn't. No, didn't. But I feel like Haas F1 team, if Daniel Ricciardo wasn't performing to standard in Haas F1 team, Gunter Steiner and the team would tell him, we say, we need better performances. And I don't know if they'd be public about it in a scathing way, like Daniel Ricciardo's an awful driver, he's been awful with us, he's really bad, all that kind of thing. Which they would be better like, bloody not, because I would go mental. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like if Daniel Ricciardo had a good race, for Haas F1 team, it wouldn't be, you know, oh, finally it would be like, congratulations on the good race. And I think that's the big thing. When Daniel Ricciardo has a good race this year in McLaren, if we think about Australia and we think about Baku, it's like, mm. oh, finally, Daniel Ricciardo's back. Mm. It's not, it, Daniel Ricciardo had a great race. It's, oh, finally, he's back. Yeah, which I finally, feel he's, yeah. It's yeah. probably almost as demoralizing as having a bad race all the time, is having a good race and it being the bare minimum. Oh, so, yeah, definitely. So I definitely think his... Uh, his confidence is a little bit gone there. And uh, yeah, understandably so, because I think Norris is, I, I think Norris is having trouble with the car as well, if, if I'm honest. I think I Norris saw has called the car very difficult to drive, as the McLaren is yeah. apparently. I think <clears throat> Norris said something along the lines of the McLaren's one of the best cars on the grid. It's just so difficult to drive. Right. And of course, Norris is managing to wrap his head around this beast better than Daniel Ricciardo is. So yes, 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 yes. yes. And that's kind of. Definitely demoralizing for Ricardo a little bit. Yeah, and of course, yeah. there's something that I see a lot on Twitter. A lot of people are blaming this Ricardo thing solely on Norris, and it's just uh, not factual. Really? I feel none of this is Norris's fault. Definitely not. So, I'm not sure what the reasoning is behind that. Um, yeah, I, it's just fortunate. I think I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily Ricardo having uh, being a yeah. bad driver. I just think it's uh, just an unfortunate combination of unfortunate mind you i don't think any of this is necessarily piastri's fault he's being made out to be a little bit of an asshole in this he just wants what's best for him which is how you're supposed to think as a formula one driver <laughs> yeah and i think the only people that i can put the blame on for this shambles that is happening at the moment is i need to put the blame solely and squarely on mclaren who i think Bar Ferrari are probably the worst managed team on the grid in terms of nobody seems to like anybody in that team, and that's not a not a way to run a right. Formula One team. Yes, yes, definitely not. So that's our opinions on the issue yeah, of the Ricardo Piastri, Schumacher, Gasly, Alpine, McLaren, chaos. <laughs> Wait, how come, where, did, where did Schumacher come in? <laughs> well, the room, there are rumours of like Schumacher going to something like Alpha Tauri or something. That's like the true. whole Schumacher-Haas talks and everything have stalled. Um, and of course, the whole me wanting Ricardo to go to Haas and that being a realistic possibility means that Schumacher's seat's nowhere near safe. So he may well be out of a drive next season. 
Yeah, that's true. That's so true. this year probably could have one of the biggest shakeups probably since 2017 when um, Rosberg retired from Formula One, even though that wasn't too big a shakeup. But no, not really. Actually, it was. I think I think it was just Bottas and Mercedes, and then uh, wasn't it? Wasn't that when Stroll came in? <laughs> Yeah, Stroll came in initially, but Bottas was going to be his teammate. So Felipe Massa had the world's shortest retirement of like eight days um, because Rosberg retired on the Tuesday after the race. And then about like three weeks after that, Bottas was confirmed as the new Mercedes driver. And then Massa came out of retirement to do that last season and then conveniently outscored Lance Stroll, which we won't talk about that. (laughs) So That's too far away, uh, long ago for me to remember the details of, Mm. honestly. Goldfish memory. (laughs) Yeah, goldfish memory. Although technically the, the 2016 was longer than a bloody goldfish's lifespan. So actually, I don't know if it is, but <laughs> it might as well be. So, I mean, I don't blame myself. But anyway, what do we have next, Tristan? Well, next we can talk about something that nobody really wants to talk about. It's the probably dismal affair that's going to be the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And its date has been leaked, according to motorsport.com. And it's going to be the second last event on the calendar before the season-ending Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. What a dismal end to the season. What do you think about that? Okay, I'm interested to to know why you think a dismal end. I mean, I don't actually... Okay, honestly, I have no idea yet. It could be garbage. I mean, I'm looking well, at the track map right now. Well, it's a square with a base. With I mean, it's a square with a baby bump. Is the track basically? Um, yeah, I'm looking at the track right now, and I kind of see what you're talking about. Um, so, it, it's a few overtaking points, I guess. Maybe, perhaps, maybe. Of course, this is just a leak, so it may well end up. I don't know, being in the middle of May or something, which is awful, but a little bit less awful. The track being in Formula One as a whole is a bit of a Issue, of course. The, th- the issue that I have with American tracks, okay, mm-hmm. is in the United States of America, we have Laguna Seca, we have Indianapolis, we have Watkins okay. Glen, we yes. have street circuits like, you know, Long he's, Beach. You missed Road Atlanta. Can't believe you've done this. Road anyway, Atlanta, Road America. You. So many do. good racing tracks. Yeah. And we choose to build tacky concrete line street circuits mm. in the middle of a city that are not going to provide good racing. Formula One at a track like Road America or a track like Laguna Seca, if they were upgraded to FIA grade one specifications, Fantastic. I feel like they would be great racing. Yep. And of course, watching a Formula One car go through the corkscrew at Laguna Seca or watching a Formula One car go down the run to turn one at you know, Long Beach or down that big, long mm. highway thing. That would be fantastic to watch. Even St. Petersburg, the IndyCar track, that'd be really cool seeing the Formula One cars go down the really wide airstrip that they go down. I mean, the United States of America has so many good racing tracks. Why are we at Miami and why are we at Las Vegas is my I, overarching question. I, I honestly, I don't. I think it's more so about... Uh... Money money and like because they're building the track around a bunch of casinos are they not they're building it down the vegas strip which is i mean it's great for the glitz and glamour but exactly and that's what they want they don't take the money and that's you know i I mean i I mean to be honest they're they're losing me i would go if they went to road atlanta no it's not road atlanta road america i would i would go i would go you would go if they went to road atlanta as well i would but that probably wouldn't end well it probably wouldn't end well no i I can't see road atlanta ever being upgraded to no specifications that it no, needs. it's a gorgeous track but yeah I agree. it's a damn good track but it's just not you know naturally safe enough unless they do sort of a monaco twisting of the rules to get it onto f1 yeah yeah but yeah it's all about it's all about demula demula and, and of i course, don't think the last thing we need at road atlanta is a concrete lake or sorry a, you know concrete runoff a lake around the famous chicanes Oh yeah, instead yeah. of grass. I mean, that would be awful. And the extension of the uh, the, the uh, runoff or like the grass and at the S's, you know, the downhill yep. section. Oh, so so fun. I would hate if they ruined that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but of course, to take a philosophical view on this, in France they have Le Mans, they have you know they have Magny Corps, they mm. have other great tracks, and they choose to go to Paul Ricard. And Paul even Ricard. here in Australia, we <laughs> have Bathurst, we have you know Townsville. Well, we have Gold Coast, all yeah. those great racing tracks, and we choose to go to Albert Park, which is a little bit less great. Even Adelaide was probably one of the greatest tracks Formula One's ever had. So yeah. it's just sort of a around-the-clock argument, I suppose. Even, you know, 
I am going to go out on a limb here and lose a lot of fans. Brands Hatch is better than Silverstone. Why aren't we there in Formula <laughs> One? <laughs> I think, uh, um, I don't know, because I, I used to think that as well, but then the last few British GPs at Silverstone have been fantastic. Like this year's was, oh my goodness, it was amazing. Um, so I, I almost want there to be two British Grand Prix. So like um, we had that in 2020, and they just so happened to both be pretty boring. Well, I mean, aside from Lewis Hamilton crossing the line on three wheels, we had the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Oh, true, but that was the same. Yeah, that's true. That was that was the that was the um, yeah. But I was thinking like Brands Hatch and Silverstone. That would be yeah. that would be great. <laughs> now there were rumors at some stage. I think that Spa was going to drop off the calendar. I haven't seen much no. about that. I will kill recently. <laughs> Um, I'm hoping that Spa's set. My understanding was Paul Ricard for sure is going to be off the calendar next year making way for Vegas. And I think it was a head-to-head fight between Kai Alami in South Africa and Spa for the final slot on the 2023 calendar. And I mean, that's a shame because one great track won't be in Formula One next year, whether it's Kai Alami or Spa. Kai Alami should never have dropped off the calendar, first of all. And Spa should never we shouldn't entertain the thought of dropping Spa off the calendar, so... No, I don't think anyone would be happy if Spa dropped off the calendar, even if the races aren't always brilliant. It's a legendary track. It's very, um... It's got a lot of history. It's, um, been here f- forever. Well, actually, I don't know how long. Yeah. I can't remember. Well, since like, the 1930s, at least. 1930s, there you go. Um, I just think that would be like dropping Monza or something. It's like one of the greats, you know? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, it I it's around this time of year, around the summer break, that we finally get, you know, the provisional calendar for next year. I'm mm. hoping that that sort of comes out in the next few weeks. Maybe we don't know, maybe next week's podcast episode we're talking about, I don't know, Silverstone being off the calendar next year or something. Talking about F1 cars going to Bathurst, 100% would not be safe, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> it's not I'd safe. love to see Formula One cars at Bathurst, but they would absolutely shoot the shoot the circuit in the foot so definitely yeah it would be really cool to see our listeners what your opinions are of course on all of this season our two listeners thank you for joining us (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little bit more than two maybe 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 appreciate you listening it's yes, our first ever it. podcast. We're a little bit amateur at this, but that's okay. We'll be a little bit better in a little while, maybe. Well, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, um, no promises. May end up getting worse. No promises here. Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, so if you have anything course. that you want uh, to hear about, if you have any uh, suggestions, um, we're not trying to, you know, get ideas, like, as in, like, all of our ideas. We're not trying to get all our ideas based, uh, ideas based off uh, what what the listeners say. We're just trying to go... Uh, what could we do to improve it, you know? So feedback would be wonderful if anyone listens. Yes, yes <laughs> if anyone listens. Yeah. If you're here, hello, how are you? We love you. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and finally, speaking of racing tracks, and this will be ending off our Formula One segment for this um, week, yep. Singapore Grand Prix, the Marina Bay Street Circuit, being a map in Call of Duty, a game that I've never played before, but Let's I've heard go. of How's that going to work? I I still don't know. Are they, are they going to be car, F1 cars driving around the track and you have to like hide behind? obliterated by Formula 1 cars. We're going back to 1977 here. That was a bit dark anyway. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't I don't really understand how it's going to work. But I mean, cool, I guess. Yay. I mean, great. I mean, I. it's not going to make me play. A, is it a first person shooter game? This is how much I know. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think so. Last time I checked. Yeah, yeah. The only first-person shooter game I've ever played is Splatoon on the Wii U. So it's right. not going to make me start play, playing um, Call of Duty. So certainly yeah. not spending money on it. And of course, if it's like you know, you have to get through certain levels of maps to get there. Well, I'm not can't be asked to do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I just thought it was it was, it was a little a little fun thing to include in the podcast. You know, even though we both don't really care about Call of Duty at all. You know? understand like how that's even a thing like i've played call of duty games before and typically you hide behind things and shoot people and i've actually more like i got shot very frequently so i know um (laughs) i know what it's like to be shot Um, hide behind toto wolf hide behind toto wolf yeah yeah everyone would be terrified people on the grid (laughs) never be able to see anything behind toto wolf true and of course his headphones would be a pretty good weapon 
That's true. Just grab the headphones, just bang it on the table and send like shockwaves throughout the entire map. If I can do one of the special abilities. Now I'm one thinking of, the special of abilities. <laughs> special abilities. That's not even a thing in Call of Duty. You know what? I think I don't know enough. I don't I know think enough. We're about better that. off not talking about first person shooter games. Yes, <laughs> yes. Moving on. <laughs> All right, now we move on to IndyCar. Now, this is going to be another one of our little segments uh, after F1. Um, we're going to do it occasionally, I think. I'm not sure if we do it every week. I'm not sure. It's mainly going to be most when IndyCar weeks. is on. Yeah, most weeks. And it's going to be pretty important over the next month or so since it's like the last three races of the season. But yeah, just quick disclaimer. Tristan and I are not necessarily IndyCar nerds, are we, Tristan? We know enough. We know We know. But you see, in Australia, we have like 50 million different streaming sites that we need to subscribe to to get various things. We are going to be subscribing to the streaming site that has IndyCar shortly. So mm -hmm. we will get a lot better as the weekend goes on. But of course, motorsport.com is an absolute gem. And Wikipedia, of course, but motorsport.com is an absolute, an absolute gem <laughs> when it comes to researching this kind of stuff. Yeah, so, and just uh, kind of catching up on, because um, of course... In WA, Western Australia, where we may or the may races not be... start at two AM. Yep, yep. And you know what I did? I stayed up for Nashville. You know what happened? It got lightning delayed for one hour and forty five minutes, and I f did not stay up for it because that would be four in the bloody morning. It was not good. <laughs> so that's what happens when you're an IndyCar fan in Australia. Didn't you like go to sleep and set an alarm for like an hour from then? And then you woke up and it was still lightning delayed. So you went back to sleep and then you set an alarm for like two hours after that because you didn't think the race was going to happen. And then by the time you woke up the next time, the race had already finished. Something like that. Yeah. I remember waking up and going, looking at motorsport.com and seeing like an article an hour ago going, Dixon wins. And I'm like, what a I, thought, shame. I, I didn't think it was going to happen because people were saying it's probably not going to happen because there's lightning everywhere. And I'm like, anyway, my, yeah. my ramblings and my, my, my. Uh, my bad luck. issues aside yeah bad luck aside um it was a pretty chaotic race in, in nashville was it not it was a very chaotic race of course probably the big news was the whole new garden grosjean crash when new garden sort of slid into grosjean into one of the corners and of course the yellow car ended up in the concrete wall and out of the race not something that you really want to have happen but um it is what it is um and of right. course you know, New Garden ended up finishing sixth, and Grosjean ended up finishing not. So, yep, he ended up finishing not. That's a very nice way of putting it. Um, and Grosjean, understandably, was a little bit livid. I would have been too. Um, but IndyCar did not penalise New Garden. I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen the incident, Tristan? I have seen the incident. It's popped up on my Instagram feed. It just—it seemed like a racing incident. I mean, if you're on the outside in a corner where there's a concrete wall on the outside. Yes, the inside does have to leave a little bit of space, but Grosjean was only just on the outside, so he probably could have and should have backed out, but that is whatever. Like, I feel like, I feel like, I think it was just a racing incident. Earlier I was going, okay, Newcarton thrust his way up the inside, like really, like really late breaking, like Ricardo levels of late breaking into turn one. Um, kind of no, like too much speed, carry too much speed in there. Of course, had to take a different line that would definitely squeeze Grosjean out. But of course, I think Grosjean could have, could have avoided it. But at the yeah. same time, I feel like he kind of got bumped into the wall. I'm not sure. I'm not, again, I'm not an IndyCar yeah. expert. You but at the same race? time, when you're a motor racing driver and you are driving in a motor race, which surprisingly you wouldn't believe that motor racing drivers actually do drive in motor races anyway. Oh, unbelievable. Um, unbelievable knowledge. The more you know. Um, oh, you know, God. you don't really want to give up a corner. So oh, yeah. but you also don't want to get put in the wall. So. Well, I mean that, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. you don't. I... Yeah. Sometimes a finishing position is worth a couple of crashes into the wall. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Dixon had <laughs> Dixon had a had a crash and he won the bloody race, did he? So... Mm, with a damaged car. Yep. And funnily enough, in Nashville last year, Ericsson flew over someone and won the race. Did he? Yeah, do you remember that when Ericsson, uh, I think it was that race anyway, where Ericsson smashed into the back of someone, lost his front wing, nearly flew, like just kind of had, had, had a nice little airborne wheelie, 
and then won the race. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, it's oh my god. Uh, did he win that race? I oh, think yeah, he did. So. What race yeah. was that last year? I remember watching that one live. Anyway, yeah, no. Either. Yeah. Of course, nice. he's a great. It was a great day to be from Australia or New Zealand because, of course, Scott Dixon won the thing, and Scott McLaughlin took pole, took the fastest lap, came second. Not too bad at all. Of course, McLaughlin probably would have wanted to have won, having you know taken oh, yeah. pole and taken fastest lap, but the cookie crumbles in strange ways in motor racing. So. Yep, especially when you have seventy-three bajillion cautions per race. A little bit unpredictable because Scott Dixon, I think, before one of the final cautions was like 14th or something, 12th, can't remember. I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, but yeah, then Yellow came out. He was in the perfect position, came into the pits, then came out, and he was basically in the run for the, the win. And um, it's just really, I think it was a nice stroke of luck for Dixon, which I don't know if you guys saw the Indy 500, but uh, it doesn't often come his way in some cases. Um, Indeed. Yeah. But yeah, no, it sets up a pretty interesting title fight for oh, the yes. final three races of the season. Of course, with the fastest lap and leading laps and all that sort of thing, I think there's 162 points that are on offer mm. in these final three races. And of course, that means that everyone down to Renus VK, all the way down in 11th place, is still in the running for the championship, theoretically. Of course, somehow I don't think Renus VK is actually going to win the championship. But I don't know, man. He's been pretty good. He's been pretty. He's been pretty rapid. If I do say no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm not saying VK is bad or anything. I'm just saying I think I reckon the top five are in it, and then you know. I would say the top seven because you have mm. Alex Rossi who's eighth on three hundred and thirty points, and then there's a sixty-one point gap to Peto Award in seventh, and of course there's only what fifty-nine points between Will Power in the lead of the championship and um, Pedro Award all the way down in seventh. So I think those top seven possibly have a chance. I mean, all it takes is for Will Power and Scott Dixon to crash out of one race and then Marcus Ericsson have a spin and finish ninth or tenth. Yep. And let's see, if that happens at Portland, then all of a sudden, you know, if Scott McLaughlin wins that race, he's mm. maybe 15 points behind leading the championship. So Come on, Scotty. <laughs> it's um, yeah. just how things can happen in motor racing, especially a series as unpredictable as oh. IndyCar is, of course, with all the spec machinery. I think it's only the engines that are actually not spec in IndyCar. Right. Um, but you could have any kind of upsets that could ridiculously change this championship because only 22 points separate that top four. Now, 22 points is the difference between finishing, you know, first or 10th. So mm. it's just... It's you so know. unpredictable. It's so unpredictable. Like, I, I don't think... Um, and and as you, you were saying, we would have to, like, it's like if the top four in the championship crash out or something, that's not necessarily unlikely. We had Will Power almost get involved in a crash, so close to crashing into someone. Scott Dixon was hit, had a damaged car. Marcus Ericsson... Oh, okay, well, Marcus Ericsson just had a dreadful day. Um, Newgarden in... Uh, what was it? Iowa crashed, crashed out. It's, it's just so, it's so like in F1, you would never see this many crash outs, like of Unless people. In Charles Leclerc. Oh, don't, please don't remind me. <laughs> please don't <laughs> remind me. It was a traumatic experience. Please. Anyway. It's been a traumatic season for you. Yes. Can you tell he's a Tifosi? Uh, well, okay. I'm not, I'm, I wasn't. But when Ferrari came back into contention for wins, yeah, and I was like, <gasps> Shark could win a championship. And I was like, I don't really want Verstappen to win again. Sorry, Verstappen fans. I, I, I like Verstappen. I, I respect him. I think he's a great, he's a fantastic driver. And he definitely deserved a championship. I just don't want him to win two in a row, okay? I, I can, I'm fine with it if he wins another one, just not two in a row and not dominantly. But it's going to happen. So I was You're going to be fully disappointed by the time the final race comes around this season, I'm afraid. I mean, I'm already disappointed now, so it's like I'm, I've already admitted defeat. Um, but yeah, well played to Verstappen and Red Bull. A fantastic team, fantastic uh, you know, functioning. Anyway, we're not even talking about F1 anymore, uh, IndyCar anymore. Um, so anyway, do you, want to, do you want to retake over before I start rambling about how sad I am? <laughs> Yep. Well, the other thing that we have in IndyCar at the moment, of course, it was only confirmed a couple of days ago, Peretta Motorsport is going to enter Simona Di Silvestro for the finale at Laguna Seca, which is great news 
not only for Simona Di Silvestro, who I rate very highly, is probably one of the one of the better drivers that we have in motor racing at the moment, but also probably one of the best female racing drivers we've ever seen in motorsport. Of course, mm. they were only supposed to enter just the um, the three races that they entered at Road America, Mid-Ohio, and then Nashville, which unfortunately Di Silvestro was the first retirement of. But it's always great to see Simona back in racing. Of course, we know her very well down under when she was a full-time V8 Supercars driver for three seasons with Nissan Motorsport. Mm. And she, in terms of the uncompetitive machinery that she had, she was pretty good to be able to finish in the top 20 in the championship, especially in 2019. She had a couple of top 10s. She was always pretty handy around Bathurst. She was in the top 10 when she had an incident on, you know, a wet white line in 2017. And it's always good to see Simona doing well. And she came second in a couple of IndyCar races back in the early 2010s. And she's going to be back in action for the season finale, which is always great news. Yeah, she's had a, yeah, she's had a pretty, I, I didn't actually know. Um, actually, she's had quite a few good finishes in IndyCar. I knew she was uh, decent in, and used to be in IndyCar, but I never really knew that. Like she came second and like fourth a few times, and it was some good finishes. And um, yeah, hopefully there's more in the future for her because I I also rate her quite highly. And um, yeah. Now we go from petrol to not petrol. Of course, electric with Formula E, where the season is supposed to finish this weekend, this coming weekend, but the sale E Prix. However, it seems to be like oh, there's going to yes. be a little bit of rain in South Korea this week. Wait, I need to look at I need to look at the so uh, forecast. May What's end the forecast up not happening this weekend at the moment, or, which may be okay. a bit interesting. Uh, hang on, forecast. We've got. Oh my god! Yep. All right. Thunderstorms. Of course, it's. A... <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that's Kabumi. the thing. And of course, electric cars and thunderstorms oh. don't really go well together. Anyway. In more Kabumi, I mean, I don't know yeah. how racing drivers grilled are. No, and we also don't you want know, to repeat in New York. No, we don't want any racing drivers to, you know, be barbecued. That was, so. that was interesting. My poppy actually, my poppy saw that. My grandfather saw that uh, on, like, TV or something. Very. He, he, was just, he, he was talking to me about how he's just laughing his head off because he saw cars just fly off the track, just, like, fly past the camera. And he's like, wee, wee, wee. Anyway, that was a funny little line. So, continue. But, you know, that could mean good news for Sam Bird, who, of course, is out with a broken hand if the race goes ahead this weekend, mm-hmm. which would mean that him, his streak of being the only driver to have participated in every Formula E race so far would be broken. So, of course, for the good of all things holy, it would be nice for the Sale E to be delayed one week so that he keeps up that record. Of course, Norman Natto is supposed to sub for him if it goes ahead this weekend. So... We'll see. Of course, in he is, yes, mm. the Frenchman. Mm-mm. Now, if we talk about the championship permutations, there's not really a lot to talk about. For the first time, I think, ever in Formula E, Yeah. Um, it seems as though we have a bit of a runaway champion. Of course, it's Stoffel van Dorn in what's supposed to be Mercedes' last season as a Formula E constructor. So, funnily enough, he's leading the championship by some 36 points and he's unemployed next year. So. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, that's that's one way to go out with a bang if he doesn't find a drive next year. I'm sure he will. Oh but... yeah, I think I think if if he wins the championship by like he's going to the last round by 36 points, I don't think I don't think any team's going to be like I don't want this guy. Like they're probably going to kick out. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't. I honestly, I'm another disclaimer. I haven't watched a lot of Formula E this year because of the streaming services. So I don't know who's good and who's not doing great this year. So. I've watched just a little bit more. I think it was last year. Wasn't it last? Yeah, it was last year. Yeah. Where we went into the final race at Berlin with 11 <laughs> drivers in championship contention. Yeah. And this year we're going into the final two races with four drivers in contention. Yep. And how things can change in just one week. Because I, I remember the end of last year's season oh my God. Vividly, vividly. That final race. And then Eduardo Mortara, I think it was, went nowhere and he was punted up the backside by someone who started a little bit further back another championship contender they were both out then jake dennis was looking like he'd win the championship and he was out and then nick defreeze ended up winning the championship finishing eighth somehow i don't know how that ended up happening and if there was one more race i'm looking at the results right now for last year Mm. with 25 points on the board 
there would still have been something like 13 drivers still in championship, more than 13 drivers would need to be going back down to 74 points. 15 drivers would still have been in championship contention if there was one more race. Oh, and that's insane. Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, this year we have four who, yeah, who, did you say four who could win or four who just like are more likely to win? Like, I'm, I'm four who could win. Could win. If Jean-Eric Verne is... 57 points behind with 58 on the board. Uh, so what John Eric Venn would need to win this championship is Stoffel Van Dorn to crash out of both races or not score any points. And then John Eric Venn to win every race with pole and the fastest lap. And he would take the championship by one point. Yeah. And we all know how, uh, looking at Van how Dorn's... How likely that is to happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially with Van Dorn's history this year. Absolutely. Almost flipping flawless. Look at this guy. One non top 10 finish. That is incredible. Second, seventh. And that non-top 10 finish was 11th. It was 11th. And that, no retirements. You look into second. Zero retirements. Yeah, we had Mitch Evans in second has had uh, four. It's the one retirement, but four non-scores. Yeah, four non-scores. Then we've got... Mortara's oh, goodness. had two retirements. Yeah, four Mortara. Burns had two retirements. He hasn't scored any points since Marrakech. Oh, uh, yeah. All the way back in July. Well, that was only last month. But... Yeah, it felt a long time ago, honestly. But um, yeah, it's it's honestly it's it's the consistency is great, and that's what we say all over like all the time. If well to each other, we because <laughs> we haven't had a podcast. Um, we it's it's all well and good winning three races in a season like Mitch Evans. Um, but and we see Sofa Van Dorn with one race win, but you know it's all about where you finish every other race. Like you know, are you twentieth every other race, or are you in the top five every other race? Yep. And that is, of course, if we go back to Formula One very briefly, mm. that is why the likes of Lewis Hamilton may well finish second in the championship oh despite not winning a race. Because me. even. <laughs> continue, continue. I'll never stop reminding you. Even though Sorry. Charles Leclerc won something like, you know, three races, I think, this year. Should have been more. He should have won, should have won like seven. Yeah. But <laughs> Lewis Hamilton's had more podiums this season than Charles Leclerc has, oh, which yeah. is a sad stat. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. So it's. But, you know. Yeah. Even the likes of Nick DeFries, who's eighth in the championship. Well, cool. He's won two races. Mm. Aside from that, he's scored one podium finish, and that's his only other top five. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, you can't win a championship like that, unfortunately. Well, I mean, he's already won a championship, so I'm sure he's happy. But, yeah, I think Stoffel Van Dorn, as long as he can keep it out of the fence, which clearly he is good at doing, um, he will, uh, I think, I'm just pretty confidently saying he will run away with a championship this year. Indeed, may well be one of the biggest points gaps that we've seen in a fairly long while, which would be very interesting. Yeah. Of course, the other thing that we need to talk about, there was a lot of hype at the end of last season coming into this season about Antonio Giovinazzi <laughs> and him going into the Dragon Penske operation, who as a team have scored a grand total of two points, yep, and which he's got, is what? really dismal. And he's retired from one, two, three, four, five, yeah. six, seven races this year. And he's he's only six not even coming in the top 15. Yeah. Not even coming in the top 15 so far this year. A truly dismal season for the Italian. The fan boost didn't help him. The six fan, fan boost. boost didn't help him. I love how after the first six races, the first six races were all fan boosted. Then afterwards, he never got another fan boost. Indeed, and if you look at Stoffel Van Dorn, every race he's got a fan boost. I think that's something that probably doesn't happen yeah. all too often Yeah, that's, that's for nice. a driver to go through every race with fan boost. It's one of the qualms that I have over Formula E. I don't really like the concept of fan boost because I feel like it gives an unfair advantage to the more popular drivers. Yeah, like if, some, if for example, like a previous F1 driver, Antonio Giovinazzi, Stoffel Van Dorn, more people are going to know them, more people are going to go, this guy, remember this guy? Let's give him a give him a little boost but then again you see indeed uh, i don't know how this happened antonio felix da costa has had fan boost in every race except one i think second london epre yeah so i didn't actually know he was a very popular driver as in like i don't know he was a he had a lot of fans but hey good for him mm. but yeah i don't really like that either because it's kind of just like you're kind of getting a boost just based on how the public feels you know it's yes it's kind of taking the sportiness away from it a little bit Anyway. Yes. And of course, one of two things are going to happen when we check back in with you next week for our next podcast. It will either be we will be talking about whoever won the championship mm -hmm. on the weekend, or it will be the same um, conversation all over again, 
because the race has been delayed. Yes. Which may well happen with the level of rain that's been expected. Definitely could happen. May I just add, we were talking about before how it could be one of the biggest gaps in a Formula E championship. Um, apparently, in 2019 to 2020 season, Antonio Felix da Costa won the championship over Van Dorn by 81 points. So, wow. I guess that's not I mean, it's... Still may well be one of the biggest gaps that we'll ever see because 36 points with 58 more on the board may well turn into something like that 90 is a points. Fair point. That is a very fair point. Yeah. I'm just, I, I can't kind of remember that at mathematically, all. Mathematically, no, it can't. Oh, I don't know. But it can definitely turn into 80 points, 75, 80 points. Yep. So it's going to be one of the bigger gaps. And, uh, you know, us, us, us fans aren't going to be the most excited people in the world. But hey, great for Stoffel Van Dorn. Very good for Mercedes. Great job for them this yep. season. And then, of course, Formula E fans are going to be crying for the next five months because then we don't have any more Formula E racing until I think it's the second weekend of January next year. Yes. 14th of January. Oh, the year starts on a Sunday. How great is that? Oh, that's very lovely. I don't know why that's amazing, but hey, it's pretty good. And now we move away from the single-seater open wheel kind of thing. We've actually spent quite a long time talking about that kind of thing. Um, but now we're going to all the... The closed tin roof. Well, I don't think it's tin. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not an engineer. Um, well, it's carbon fiber, but carbon fiber. There you flip and go. I don't know why I said tin roof. Um, we're going They're to the tin tops. Tin tops. There you go. Tin yes. tops. Tim top racing. More like uh, the uh, yeah <laughs> tin top. We're going to be talking about uh quite frequently the uh, whole G side of things. Uh, WEC, more specifically IMSA. IMSA. The, Weather Tech Championship. Because um, there's a lot of excitement. Grand Tourers. Yes. There's a lot yes. of excitement. And there is some very, very big news in terms of WRT, which, oh, I don't know what it actually stands for. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just W Racing Team. I, I saw that. I yeah. looked up on Wikipedia the other day and it was just W Racing Team. Yeah, I have it right w here. W Racing Team. It's literally. Oh, there you just, go. Yeah. It's a Belgian team and it is. Ooh. It has seen. Yes. It has seen a lot of success and is continuing to see success. But what has happened? Not with Audi. Yes, not with Audi. After um, so, so many years being with Audi, yeah. it is leaving Audi. Have we Which, said Audi enough times in a sentence? I don't think we have said Audi enough time because Audi is a very f- uh, fun word to say. Uh, I like Audi a lot. Very um, German. Yeah, very German, yes. Um, nice voice crack from me. But... I think it was quite a shot. I don't actually remember why. Oh, yes, I remember why now. Um, Audi was planning to join, uh, use WRT, as in collaborate with WRT, to enter the LMDH, which is the Le Monde Daytona H. I don't actually know what the H stands for. Hypercar? I think it's hypercar. Yeah. It's just everywhere I've seen, it's just like Le Monde uh, um, Daytona type, and then, oh, wait, no, hang on, LMD. I've absolutely had a mind blank. Okay, yeah. Le Mans, Daytona, and then H. That's all it says. It doesn't say what the H stands for. but Probably uh, hypercar. Probably hypercar. But, yeah, they... but, you know, they're entering... Instead of entering it with Audi, they're now entering it with BMW, of course. BMW. I love the BMW. BMW. Yes. With the um, new... The, yeah. uh, the M Hybrid V8, which the chassis is going to be built by Delara, which is a little bit interesting. I would have assumed that BMW would have uh, built its own chassis, but that's yeah, not but there. As long as we have more uh, more entries and more big manufacturers coming in, I'm I'm happy. I'm very happy. Indeed, um, it looks like it's going to be a great couple of years in endurance racing. There's a real reason to get behind endurance racing at the moment. We have. In LMDH, which is the IMSA strain of the hypercars, even though they're the same thing, you can use both of them in Le Mans and WEC and IMSA mm-hmm. and wherever the hell you want to use them. We have Acura, well, we have BMW, we have Cadillac, we have Porsche, Alpine, and Lamborghini, confirmed woo. for LMDH. Let's and then go. in the Le Mans hypercar, we have currently racing Toyota SCG, which is the Glickenhaus, which is not very good, but and then also Peugeot, which is also not very good, but they'll get better. And yeah. then we have confirmed as well the Ferrari hypercar. And then oh, we yes. also have the Van Wall Baikoles hypercar. And mm. then a couple of other prospective entries. Of course, Van Wall 
was actually denied entry by the FIA for some reason. Even though the car's already, everything's already, they were denied entry for some reason. They're all, everything's working and everything's there. And then we have a couple of other ones that are sort of like, will they enter? Will they not enter? We don't really know. Um, yeah. Aston Martin so, used to be going to, but then they, I, I still don't know we, what happened with that. Flipping left. I don't know why. Um, it was yeah, supposed Audi. to be Red Bull affiliated, and then Red Bull stopped affiliating itself with Aston Martin. <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, Audi um, was going to be running LMDH in the 2023 hypercar, hypercar class, apparently. Hypercar class in the WEC, which I was very, very excited for, because it's the first time we've seen Audi in the WEC since uh, the R18 in LMP1. That was, uh, of course, that's not dominant. Happening. Was it? I was it dominant? Remember. I don't know. I think at times it was absolutely destroyed by the Porsches and the Toyotas, but I, I don't remember. I don't think I was a fan well, back then. I can find out for you. Yes, you mm. were. You started becoming a fan the year that Audi left, of course. Oh, yes. Maybe. <laughs> I don't remember. Because I remember... Um, what was it? Was it? Yeah, Mark Webber was... A, oh, he was a Porsche driver. I thought he was with Audi. We know our stuff, guys. Don't worry. We, we know, know our stuff. stuff. But there was definitely stuff. a championship battle, at least in 2016, between Porsche and Audi. That I can mm. tell you. Right. The difference. And then um, Toyota was in there as well with a pretty good chance. Of course. I am hoping that this new everything that's happening in the LMP1 mm-hmm. will spice up all of the racing, which it should do. Oh, yeah. Because recently, since um, Porsche left, of course, it's been very boring. Very boring. Just downhill. Absolutely downhill. I was very sad when I found out that Toyota was going to be the only actual, like, manufacturer that was going to be in it. Because it was just, uh, it was Toyota versus, I think, like, the Rebellions and the Bicolors. Um, Indeed. And they did not stand a chance because just Toyota with their hybrid system and it's just, ah. It was boring, yeah, but um, no, it's finally ahead. getting some life injected back into it, which is always what we want to hear. Yes, always. But anyway, what we want to hear. and of course, in the current season, we have, yeah. I think, had three different race winners in world, four race winners in world endurance championship. Mm. Um, and Alpine lead the championship. Probably wouldn't have if Kamui Kobayashi didn't cut uh, cut off the Alpine and give itself a nice little puncture to ruin its race, but. Because you know, it was a nice battle for the lead by, there. It was a very nice battle for the lead. Leads um, by 10 points at the moment. And of course, yeah. I'm afraid the Peugeots, when they debuted in Monza, were not overly great. Yeah, one of them had issues with the clutch, I think, in qualifying. Oh, what's it called? Hyperpol, I think. Um, and then in the race, early on, stopped in the middle of the track after Ascari. I don't know why we're doing a recap of Monza, because that was a few weeks ago now. But... <laughs> We're just talking about the the hypercar class in general and like the LMDH and like what's going to be coming in the future and like how hopeful we are Indeed. that it will be be, be will, will be more appealing to racing fans, you know. Yes, and then of course in other news, the Australian circuit in South Australia, the Bend Talem Bend, is very keen on holding a WEC round, which I think is maybe a little bit premature considering they have only so far hosted one international event and that international event was uh, the asian le mans mm-hmm. series right way back in i think it was maybe even early 2019 maybe early 2020 i think it's a bit premature for that but it would be great to see the world endurance championship come down under oh it would i would i i, I didn't think it would would have been the bend if i do say so myself but i think i think uh pre-covid i think uh sam shahin was talking about, uh, I think he's the one of the owners of the track. I can't remember. He is, yes. Yeah, but he said, I think they said that they had kind of had plans work prior to, co- uh, before COVID. I can't remember if prior means the same thing. Before COVID, <laughs> um, they were talking about, um, yeah, yeah, I've seen this on motorsport.com, almost public view that pre-COVID we had a deal with the World Endurance Championship to come here. I Yes. Know? Yeah. Um didn't expect that so early especially especially in its uh, existence but uh i mean it's a pretty interesting track it's it's kind of it's cool it's uh the racing in supercars is quite nice uh so i'd love it is, to see yes that. it's 
it's a very well run facility as well and they've got the finance and everything to be able to hold a world endurance championship, oh, God, yeah. championship race of course it's the second longest permanent circuit in the world the gt layout mm. only behind the nurburgring nordschleife oh, so yeah. nothing can compete with the nordschleife the green hill but yeah so it'll be pretty interesting pretty big uh pretty pretty great for us uh us aussies uh, i will be really tempted to go down to uh uh, South Australia. Is it South Australia? Oh my god. South Australia. Yes. South Australia? Yeah, it's South Australia. South Australia. I'm like, I can't believe I forgot that. I always get mixed up between Northern Territory and South Australia for some reason. I know. Australians come roast me. Um, but yeah, I would honestly be tempted to go over there and watch it because that would be awesome. Indeed. And of course, finally, this goes back to IMSA. They've only recently, only uh, a couple days ago, released mm. their provisional next year calendar and of course to avoid a clash with the 24 hours of Le Mans it means that we are losing two races but we are gaining one with Indianapolis the road course finally coming back onto the calendar it feels like if you are a racing series in America you really should have Indianapolis on your racing calendar don't you oh, think yeah. oh yeah definitely um I think I don't know about two races at Indianapolis as in two two races at the Indianapolis road course looking at you IndyCar um because I don't think I don't think it's the best track. I mean, I don't remember the racing exactly, but I don't think it's the most exciting thing in the world. But definitely, you got to have one Indianapolis race on your calendar. And IMSA, I think it's a it's a great thing that they've got uh, Indianapolis coming on there. Um, Mid Ohio is gone. Detroit is gone. I don't know if those were the most uh, popular venues, but I I honestly, again, it's on at a very inconvenient time for Australians. So I'm. I'm not exactly the most familiar with everything. Indeed. But of course, next year, it's all very exciting. Some of the biggest races in the world are always staged in America. In terms of endurance, especially, you have the Rolex 24 at Daytona. You have the 12 Which hours at Daytona. You have the Petit Le Mans. You mm. have so many really good races there. And Hell yes. Of course, when they when we get to that point, we will of course be giving you special edition coverage of the big races as and when mm -hmm. they come. Isn't the uh, Petit Lawn on the same weekend as Bathurst, or was that old times? It was on the same weekend as Bathurst. That'd be a very special treat and very um, that'd be fantastic. Fun for people. Yes, We'd love to be, um, you know sleep deprived we'd love to yeah i literally, literally we'd have to wake up at four in the morning for bathurst anyway but from 10 o'clock until like five in the morning australian time there's, there's gonna be particular more so we're not gonna get any sleep whatsoever so yeah i'm ready Indeed. bring Let on the coffee and the very wrinkle. quick look yeah. petite Le Mans is the weekend before the bathurst 1000 damn. damn it oh well petite Le Mans on the first of october and the Bathurst mm. 1000 is on the sixth, or is on the ninth of October, right? Yeah, because Petit okay. Le Mans on a Saturday, isn't it? Or yes, yes, indeed. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to watch it because we've school. started this podcast at a bit of a funny time because there's a whole lot of nothing happening this particular <laughs> week. Yep, and then everything sort of comes on strong like a thunderstorm at the very end of the year because, of course, it does. Of course, but it we does, still yes. have some stuff happening. We do, hence why we're still talking. And it's been a fair few minutes. It's been a fair few minutes. And we've we still got... Actually, I think we're almost done, aren't we? Indeed. We'll yeah. cap off this episode, I reckon, by talking about MotoGP that happened on the weekend. And, yeah. of course, we will go to two wheels now. And yep. the big talking point is, of course, the incident that happened in Free Practice 4 with Alicia Spargro. Probably one of the biggest high side incidents for those that aren't familiar with motorbike racing a high side is when you are on the accelerator or off the accelerator and you lose the rear end of the bike and then you gain it again and you are whipped off the bike similar to a bucking bull and to have that happen at 115 miles an hour about over 200 kilometers an hour not a fun experience but that's what's happened to Alicia Spargo through the turn two of the formula one layout because they use different pit lanes in MotoGP and Formula One, though they won't be doing that next year. That'll be interesting. Um, mm. At ridiculously high speed through that fast left-hand corner. Yeah, it was pretty scary. I um, noticed how I didn't say anything over the last minute or so. It's because I'm, I am not as well-versed. In fact, I am, don't even know all the, all the riders. I almost said drivers. All the riders in MotoGP. Yeah, just seeing the, um, 
the internet MotoGP at that speed. is entirely my idea as the local MotoGP superfan. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I sometimes watch, I watch the Moto3 because that is insane. But um, MotoGP, I try to watch it. I try to watch it. And, um, you try to watch it. Yeah, but I, f- I find it interesting that you said the biggest talking point was in free practice four. Did anything happen in the race? Oh, well, the pole sitter crashed out from the lead, which is not exactly what you want to do when you're Joanne Zarco, but... Well, that's something. That's definitely a talking point, yeah. That's just typical MotoGP stuff, I'm afraid. Yeah. But for Alicia Spark, he did break his heel, I think it was. I thought it was his ankle, but I think it's his heel that he broke. Mm. Now, he qualified, I think it was on the second row of the grid, right. with a broken heel, and then finished yeah. the race in ninth with a broken heel. Now, I probably would spend two weeks in my bed nonstop crying if I had a broken heel. Me too. In fact, I would probably never return. (laughs) In fact, I would never even go bike racing in the first place. So props to him. But it's very interesting because in the race, it was, of course, once again, Peko Bagnaya who won the race Mm. for something like the eighth or something time. I don't think it's the eighth time this year. We've only had like 12 races. Oh, okay. How um, many wins have there been, the, do you know? Peko Bagnaya for the fourth time this season. Now, it's very interesting to say that since Spain, mm. he has won every race that he has finished. The only problem, he's crashed out of all the other ones. Oh, I can see that. I'm looking at Wikipedia in right now. In France, he crashed out. In, in Barcelona, he crashed out. In Germany, he crashed out. And they've all been from good finishing positions. So it really is a win it or bin it mentality from Peko Bagnaia at the moment. The other talking point, of course, was the very interesting, weird, um, I can't remember what it's called, but they're little winglets that have sprouted on the back of the Grazzini racing bikes for Anea Bastianini that are supposed to aid downforce, which is only a recent thing in MotoGP. There's only maybe been about five years where we've actually had wings on MotoGP bikes. Oh, right. And okay. it's very interesting to note that because he's still, even though he's something like 60 points behind Fabio Quattararo, who's only there based on his consistency, same thing with Alicia Spargro. They're the top two in the championship at the moment. Everyone else has had a bit of a history of, you know, having a bit of a love affair with crashing. Oh, yeah, um, really have. <laughs> but it could be very interesting to see how the next few months and indeed the next few years turn out in terms of development of aerodynamics on MotoGP bikes. It's only a recent invention. But I'll just touch on it briefly with the funny, I think they called it uh, dinosaurs, dinosaur winglets. Dinosaur to... winglets. Wow. Is that like where they have like little tiny little, it's like a T-Rex, T-Rex arms? Little tiny no, arms? you know the dinosaur that has the big spiky things on its back going down to its tail? What, you mean the Stegosaurus? Maybe. The, but the, it's the similar one... to that on the back of the bike. Oh, okay. So we have a Stegosaurus bike, loving it. All right, awesome. I'm now getting into MotoGP. Are there, are there dinosaurs? <laughs> are there dinosaurs in the race? Are they? I'm afraid not. Damn it! Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm out. Anyway, continue. You're out. Sorry. Oh well. I'm out. What a shame. What a shame. So that is MotoGP, and of course, um, as a result of the broken heel that Spargo has sustained in his FP4 crash, he's been prescribed seven days of absolute rest, which sounds a little bit funny. But that's all right, because the um, Grand Prix of Austria is in about three weeks' time, on the 21st of August at the Red Bull Ring, uh, which will be interesting because it will be the alternate version. If you watched the um, Formula One Austrian Grand Prix, you would have noticed a very fast chicane going up the hill from turn one through turn two and Mm. three. Now, that has been installed very recently after a very big crash, how yeah. a couple of very big crashes happened in MotoGP in 2020 and 2021. And yeah, one that almost wiped out uh, Valentino Rossi, right? And Ho- was it Jorge Lorenzo? It wasn't Jorge Lorenzo. It was Maverick Vinales was the other one. Yes. That yes. was when Franco Morbidelli and Joan Zarco crashed into each other at huge speed going up the hill. But they yeah. have installed a very high speed chicane to try and slow the bikes down on the run up to turn three as an added safety measure. And it will be very interesting to see if that changes the whole focus on top speed that the teams always take to Austria, because now we've only got the one big long straight, and that's the run from turn three down to turn four. Mm, So 
that's going to make things very, very interesting indeed. Yeah, and I might watch it next time. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. Okay, I'm going to try, and I will You're have more. Uh, I'll have enough knowledge, maybe eventually in a few years. Maybe. Yes, maybe. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I join the recording. You join the recording. There we go. Okay. And that is it for today's episode of the Racing One podcast. We really hope that you enjoyed. It's our first episode, so go a little bit easy on the critique if that, if you possibly can. Nah, just um, murder we... us. It's okay. Uh, we have thick skin. <laughs> okay, okay. Just maybe a little bit, a little bit. We're very sensitive. We are absolute amateurs, and we'll probably remain yep. that way, but whatever. Um, yep. That's the charm. Yes, it's the charm. We we're hypnotize you into thinking we're actually good anyway. Oh, yeah, we're, we're very good manipulators, 100%. We're totally not just a bunch of weird Australian doofuses who just, I don't know, watch motorsport in their spare time. Wizardry. Wizardry? Wizardry. Yeah, sure. Wizardry, yeah. Okay, I have no idea what's going on anymore. We should probably anyway. end off this podcast before we lose our brain cells. You think we had any to begin with? Don't, uh, yeah, okay, I guess we didn't. I, I might have had like half of one at the start of this, and then... I think yeah, the remainder so. of it got destroyed trying to wrap my head around why Leclerc hasn't won seven races in the season. That kind of, um, yeah. It's destroyed called the Ferrari. It's yeah, called, it's called Ferrari. Ferrari. I blame Ferrari for my brain degeneration. Anyway. Dementia. Anyway, Dementia. if you enjoyed this podcast, of course, follow us wherever you are listening to us from, whether that is Spotify or that is SoundCloud or it is YouTube or anywhere else. And, of course, if you enjoyed it so much that you would like to be updated on our podcast, you can, of course, go and follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We will be active. We will be replying. We will be talking to you and we will be engaging. And I hope you enjoyed and we will see you next week for what is likely to be another wreck-filled crash fest of talking and laughing. Yep. Pretty much just Bye-bye. a bunch of, bunch of random stuff. Have fun. Bye-bye.